listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Good morning, church. Welcome to the final part of our series, We Can't Stay Here, in the day that we officially launch the Expand This House campaign. Uh, this is the day where we are going to put our stake, our line in the sand, if you will, into every good thing that God has for our church. The future is bright for New Chapel. Can I hear it? Amen, somebody? Can we just give God praise for that? Amen. Uh, very cool. Uh, before we jump into the message today, I want to tell you about next week. Everybody say next week. Next week, next week we have a new series started, and uh, it's going to be called The Five Relationships. There are five primary relationships that we have in our lives, and uh, March is a five-week month leading up until Easter. It's going to be a series you don't want to miss. These are the primary relationships that if you get these right, you're really going to win in life. You don't want to miss that. Bring somebody along with you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 54. Uh, your Bible should just literally fall right open to Isaiah 54 at this point in the game. But I want to read it for us, especially on the last day of the series. Isaiah 54, enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left. Your descendants will inherit the nations and make desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach. The Lord of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth." Spring 1912, a pastor from Scotland was given an invitation to come and preach in America, in Chicago. He accepted that invitation and set off to cross the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, he had aboard a ship to do that in order to get to Chicago. And Pastor John Harper boarded none other than the RMS Titanic. Now, you know the history. On April 15th, Titanic hit an iceberg and it began to sink. Harper was given a seat with his six-year-old daughter next to him. Now, his six-year-old daughter was there, but just as they were getting ready to lower the boats, he gave a kiss on his daughter's cheek, and he stood up and gave his spot on that lifeboat to a stranger. Well, as you can imagine, time flies in a fight-or-flight situation like that, and in moments, he had a life preserver on, and moments after that, he's in ice-cold water. And a man that he lowered into the water with he was very anxious, as you could imagine, and, uh, and so this, this guy was, was, was talking about life, and he was talking about how he hadn't done anything, and Pastor Harper said, do you know Jesus, and led that man to salvation in the ice-cold water around the sinking Titanic. Uh, later on, as things changed, and we know the history, uh, Pastor Harper had his life vest on, but there was a man that was holding on to a piece of debris. And he was crying out. He was so anxious. He was really flipping his lid. And, and, and Pastor Harper said, hey, these were the last words, take my vest. And he threw his life vest at that man. And when you think about that story, it, it's like if we watch an interesting movie or if you hear a story like that, you, you think to yourself, you know, would I do something like that? Maybe you've talked to your spouse that way or a friend, like, would you do that? Would that be what you would do? What motivates someone to do that? What last words? Take my vest. And he throws it at the guy. 
If I were there, I've questioned myself of whether or not I would have made that decision. Would I have given my seat up for a stranger, or would I have thanked God for his provision that I have a seat on a lifeboat? Would I have given my vest to save another? What compels someone to do that? That's, that's a question I've been gnawing on. What drives someone? What motivates someone to give up their life for a stranger? The past seven weeks, we've been engaging Isaiah 54, and we've been talking about how New Chapel is beginning this campaign to expand this house. That is, to go next door and renovate the adjacent facility that we recently purchased. We're going to make it our own. We're going to go and do all of that without additional debt. And it's going to be great. We're going to have space in the lobby. In fact, I'm just thinking about our little ones running around. They're not only going to be able to steal mints in this lobby, they'll be able to steal mints in that lobby in Jesus' name. (laughs) And so... Some of your kids, they think they're so smart, they think like they're sne- We know you're taking the mints, but here's what Pastor Joe knows. Mints are cheap. Kids are expensive. So if you want a church filled with kids, take the mints, everybody. We're going to have great-looking facilities. We're going to have rooms for the kids. The auditorium is going to have room for our, our church to be able to expand. Not only is this going to help us to reach hundreds of people here, but it's going to be a real hub for future ministry operations. It's pretty cool what God is doing. Now, today I want to hone in on what it means to strengthen our stakes. We've talked about lengthen our cords, and now today I want to talk about what it means to strengthen our stakes, really what it looks like to have some depth in our community, to really have a footing in this place. Now, if you're like me, when you hear big vision, like what we've expressed for the past two months, two different feelings bubble up. The first one is obvious. It's like, that's cool, right? That, that's pretty cool. I, I, I would love to be able to have space, right? Like, I don't, I don't want to stop the hugs, but I want to stop fighting through the lobby to check my kids in. You know what I mean? Uh, I want to be able to go. I'd love to be able to have that play place, Pastor Joe. This is what I'm hearing a lot of. You don't need to go to McDonald's. You need to come to New Chapel, have a sanctified play place in Jesus' name. And so there's, there's this excitement with it all, and it's like, oh, man, that is cool. But then on the other end, and if you're, I, I even think if you're just normal, you're going to have another feeling bubble up, and it's a little bit of hesitancy. There's a little bit of a reservation, maybe even for some of us, a little bit of fear. Why does that happen? Because it's a big deal. The numbers that we're talking about going over there are, are, are mind-blowing. Listen, everybody, I'm from Nuevo. We didn't have a million dollars in the whole county, okay? And so, like, to think about that blows my mind. But if it was just on me, it'd be one thing. It's a, but I see the call of God. But the big deal, it makes the what-ifs bubble up. So what are you talking about? The first one would be this. You know, what if it doesn't work out? What if it doesn't, what if we fail? What if it doesn't happen? What if I sacrifice for God's mission, but then I don't have enough for the mission of me? What if I come up short with my wallet? Can I actually afford this? Who knows what unexpected bill is right around the corner? Uh, how about this? You know, I'm going to sacrifice in this way, but we would never say it. What if God doesn't come through? And I think that's really at the core of all of it, isn't it? It's really this thought of like, what if this thing doesn't pan out the way that God has said that it's going to pan out. And, and God knows how you feel. He knows the nature of people. So right after he talks about expanding and enlarging and stretching, he says this verse in Isaiah 54, 4, do not fear. It's the most common command in the Bible. Why? Because if you're going to fail, if you're going to fall on your face, it's going to be in the realm of fear. 
That's going to be the spot where you're really going to second guess. God knows that about us. And so that's why he says, do not fear. So when you're alone, whether you're dealing with your own issue or your big uh, issue coming from work, or maybe it's a family thing and it's, it's pressing against you, don't go into isolation and try to think your way through it. It's going to make you more afraid. You can't combat thoughts with thoughts. You combat thoughts with words, with faith. Write it down. Fear compounds when we feel isolated. When you feel like you're all alone, that's when your mind goes from just a little, and it spirals out of control. In fact, I would say it spirals downward. It's when you start thinking about the worst case scenario. But the opposite is also true. So I remember when I was college age, uh, my buddies and I, we went on the Buffalo River. We were doing a little float trip on canoes down the Buffalo in Arkansas. Now, you can only do that in the early spring because it gets too hot when you get into summer in that country, and, and it makes it so all of those streams and rivers, they get real low, and you'd bottom out every 10 feet. It'd be just, it'd, it'd be awful. There was a couple times, even in the spring with good water, we had to lift up, and we had to kind of like run it along and put it down on the other side. And, and so we did that whole network and the Buffalo, and we got out. It pours out in this beautiful lake. It's an oasis. And you get to this lake, and as we did, we saw these guys, and they were jumping from this cliff. And so being young and dumb, uh, we thought we should do that too. And so we, we, we started climbing up this thing, and it was a hike. It took forever, probably 25 minutes to get up there, and I thought we'd be able to just jot up there in five minutes. 25 minutes later, we get up there, and we're like, holy moly, this is my days. This is in the air. And so uh, I read the sign, and it says, welcome to Devil's Cliff. Hot. How do you know y'all made a mistake? You know, <laughs> De Devil's Cliff, we're not responsible for anything. Like, in essence, if you died up there, they give you the right to bury your dead on the trail somewhere, I guess. And, and, they, and here's the big thing, 60-foot cliff, 60 feet. So now that's in my head. So I go off to the edge of this cliff, and I'm smart. My buddies are all being them, and I'm, look, I'm investigating. So I'm like, I'm looking off that cliff, and I'm looking down, and it's like, mm-mm. Now, I am daring with a lot of things, but I'm not dumb. And so I am not that type of guy to jump like that. But just as soon as I'm ready to be like, guys, let's get out of here, my buddy John starts running behind me, screaming while he's running. Bah! And he jumps off the cliff, and, and he goes like this, whoop! and makes himself into this little like arrow, and he goes, whoo down. And I'm looking off the cliff, it's like, is he dead? You know, because <laughs> you go down like that, it's like Looney Tunes, it's like <whistles> forever, okay? And then he was underwater forever, and he pops up, and he, he pops up, and he's screaming, victory! Ah! Well, you better bet the rest of us just went, bah! Now, I will tell you, if you are jumping off a 60-foot cliff, word for the wise, Make yourself into an arrow. I made myself like, ah, like this. And if you're into organic things, that's the best way to get an organic clyster. If you're really down with all that. <laughs> uh, that moved me in ways I wasn't expecting. And, and so <laughs> I found this, that something shifts in your heart when you have somebody else that you can do it with. And I get it. It's impossible. Some of the things that we're talking about, it's, it is. It's impossible to wrap your mind around if it was just all on you. But yet when a church, when a group of people get into faith on something, it changes our hearts. And so it's true. Fear compounds when we feel isolated. But the opposite is true. Fear is, write it down, fear is neutralized when we're in faith together. 
Like when you get into faith with other people, I'm not saying you need to live your life by consensus of what everyone else says, but you need some spirit-filled, faith-filled Christians around you to be like, yeah, we can do it. Let's, let's take it on. You could do that. You could start that business. You need some encouragers in your world. That's where the fear goes away. You try to battle it all on your own. Listen to me. Good luck. You're going to need it. But if you choose to get in a faith community, you're going to have the support. That's why we do small groups. That's why we have church is so you can have an atmosphere of faith because life's going to throw a cliff in your way. Are you with me, everybody? Now, we believe this, Isaiah 54, 4. Do not fear, we know. But then it says this, do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will, I've had a stand on this my entire life. You will forget the shame of your youth. I've had moments down where Pastor Brian's sitting right now during worship where it occurred to me some of the heinous things that I did. And I forgot. And I was like, God, that's active in my life. For some of us in the room, we went too far, said too much, did too much, did time, made a fool of ourselves. And we stand on the fact that God is so good that you'll reach a spot of faith where you'll literally not be able to remember. You go, really, I did that? That's God's promise. Back to my message. It's not just fear of the big activity. Do you hear me? So there's the big activity, that, or there's the big thing in your life, start the business or raise godly kids or, oh my gosh, I'm going to try to homeschool. Ah. And, and, and you're, it's the big thing. And, and yeah, there might be fear with that, but the Bible's saying uh, do not be afraid, for you will not be ashamed. It's hinting at something else. There's a fear that's actually set in every one of our hearts, in the bottom of our hearts. And below our fear is brokenness. Something is out of alignment, and that brokenness is sin. From birth, deep down on the inside of us, there's this knowing that we're not close to God, or so we feel. In this distance, this is where all the fear grows from. So fear comes from shame, but, but shame comes from sin. The brokenness I'm describing to you is sin. The shame that you feel is all rooted in that. Shame is the sense that I'm not right. Shame is the sense that I'm not going to add up. And that shame will cripple your confidence. You can't live your life out of that. Say amen, somebody. And so we think about dreaming big dreams or the work of God or God using us for something big. It's easy, both personally, just you and your family, and together corporately as a church. It's easy to hesitate, but the reason why you're doing it is because of shame. And that is the real power of this passage. The real power of this passage is that God is telling us that there is a way to be free from our shame to be free from our past. Imagine this, this, this uh, shame is a stain on your heart, okay? What God is saying is he has the cleaning agent so strong that he can cleanse that away and out of your life that you can actually forget the shame of your youth. Wow. God doesn't want you to pay penance. That's the complete opposite of how we feel. When we do something stupid, here's what we feel. Well, I did something dumb. I might just well do everything else dumb that I want to do. You're thinking, Pastor, I don't feel that way at all, okay? One word, thanksgiving. You sin with your eating, all of a sudden you straight up Garfielded a whole pecan pie 
you wouldn't steal any money from anybody, but you'll eat their dessert, you know? And you're like, might just as well. I done fell off the wagon, you know? And so we, we talk ourselves into all of that. What, what, what's happening? It is actually something evident in your heart that you are allowing this penance thing to go into play. You're like, I'm going to have to make it up. I might just well have fun. And on the other end, you think you have to grovel to God. You know, the moment you sin, the moment you mess up, it's counterintuitive. But right there in the midst of it, that's the time you need to run to your God. You think you need to lay low for a little bit. I'm not going to talk. I won't play any of my favorite worship for a little bit. Just slide under the, you know. He's God. He saw you coming before you woke up that morning. (laughs) And he knew you were going to do it when he accepted you already as his son and daughter. Stop running in shame from your God. God doesn't want you to be guilty. God doesn't want you to pay penance. There is a power in this life that can actually cleanse you of that junk. And it's not a power that's in what you can do or you can achieve or what you can reason in your head. That's not how this whole thing works. You can't can't decipher it all in your head, and that's where the peace is going to come from. Your deeds will not do it. So Isaiah 54, we're hearing about stretching and, and God dealing with our shame. Isaiah 53, the chapter before, tells us who's the main player in all of that. Isaiah 53, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity, the chastisement for our peace. You want peace? It's not on you. You don't have to tuck tail and run. The chastisement for our peace, it was on him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we, everybody, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned. Everybody. Don't let any religious person think that they just got saved by osmosis. All they had to do was say the right words. No, no, no. We all ran from him. Apart from God, we are nothing. We ran astray. We have turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. The natural mind is going to fight against that because you're going to think, I got to do something. You can't earn position with God. Begs the question, well, how do I deal with my shame? How do I deal with all of this? How do I deal with the guilt that I deal with, Pastor Joe? I'll tell you, Christ came. He lived a sinless life. He went to a cross that had your name on it, a cross that was the death of the worst sinner. He died in your place, a substitutionary death. And by doing that, when he died and resurrected on that third day, he ratified salvation in your life. And when you receive him, he makes all things new. That's the story. Okay, great. What do I have to do? (laughs) You have to receive it. You have to call him Lord. Jesus won that victory for you. You just have to receive it. And so when God sees you, he sees you in Christ. When you make Jesus Lord, he sees you in Christ. He sees you perfect. He sees you blameless. He sees you as beloved. He sees you as a son or daughter. You are not who other people say that you are. You are who God says that you are, and he calls you redeemed and loved and chosen. You ought to be giving it up for a God. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You can take the facility. I'm saved. Amen, somebody? And it is all because of what the finished work of the cross produced in our life. What is that called? In a word, grace. Grace is what you don't deserve. Grace is that free gift from heaven. It's what God has done in our lives. Grace will move you from rejected 
to accept it. Grace will move you from guilty to forgiven, from self-centered to God-centered, from broken to healed, from death to life. That's what grace will do in the life. Yeah, why not? Come on, somebody. And so the prophet Isaiah, he says, I want you to expand. I want you to lengthen your cords and strengthen you. He says all of this, but here's what I've realized. You're not going to expand beyond the grace that's active in your life. Have you forgiven you? I just want to let that sit there for a minute. Write it down. Grace initiates a new beginning. And that's what we need every day. Hallelujah. That's why we exist as a church, honestly. We're for people to connect with God and to be raised to new life in Christ. We, we want a flood of grace to hit people's lives. So people who were in religion, who thought it was all about the do's and the don'ts. You know what I found out? Western Michigan is not a super Christian area. It is a super religious area. And what people have done is they fooled themselves into all the, all the holy aerobics. And some of them are very moral people who don't know God. And they just tell you how to live your life. But I tell you what, some of the most tatted up, druggy, ex-con people that we have in this church know God. And you can take your religion. <laughs> in fact, how about this? When you get in front of Jesus, don't talk about all the great things you've done. I'm getting way off my notes. I need to get back on immediately, if not sooner. We are a church that wants to minister God's freedom and acceptance and love. You listen to me. You stick with him. You'll forget your shame. Now, in New Chapel, we value what God values. Amen? And we believe this. When Jesus was preaching, he, he showed the values of God. And in Mark's gospel, very interesting passage, Jesus himself shows what God values. It says this in Mark 8. It says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What will, will it profit? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? This is the words of Christ, okay? Think about that at your next purchase. And there's nothing wrong with being blessed. There's nothing wrong with being blessed materially. But I want you to understand this. The sum of all of the possessions you could own or commodities you could buy or places that you could live in, the sum of all of them put together, what God, God's value system is, is that it doesn't even equal one person. It pales in comparison to the value of a soul. It makes me think of this very profound passage in Luke's gospel, chapter 15. We don't have time to turn there just in, in the order of today, but in, in Luke 15, Jesus is hanging out with sinners and Pharisees. Now, Jesus' doctrine was that of a Pharisee, his, his doctrinal position. But the playing out of all of that, Jesus was not all about how the Pharisees played out their faith. I want to give you an example of maybe a way that you can register this in your mind. Uh, how many of you could not care less and yet at the same time have had people at a party try to explain cribbage to you? Okay, it's bad, right? Here's one that's worse, euchre. Okay? No, listen, it's simple. I'm just going to tell you. Let me just tell you. We're like, no, listen, I don't care, right? It's, it's impossible for me to care about this, you know? And I would love to actually like chess. I like the idea of chess. I've got chess boards, little chess pieces carved. I like the idea of it. 
But when they're like, oh, yeah, listen, Bishop's going to move on. It's like, listen, we're playing Nintendo. I got to move on. Like, I just, I can't go. And so what the Pharisees did is they had no relationship with God, but they really got into all the rules and regulations. So I'm ahead on the one-year Bible because I'm a, I'm a good boy. And, and so uh, I've been reading this, and we're, we're like in the thick of Leviticus. Moses is cleaning house, okay? We just figured out what to do if there's a pussy scab. We know what to do if you have any mildew on your clothes. Like, it is thorough, everybody. And the Pharisees were like, come on. It's a poetry slam for them. They love the rules. They love the law. Now, in all of that, it's not bad to be organized. It's not bad to have order. I'm not saying that. But Jesus saw their hearts, and they missed the relationship. They weren't in relationship with God. They thought it was going to be by the doing that they were actually going to have relationship with him. And so Jesus preaches in Luke 15. It really gets Jesus fired up. And he talks about what God is really all about. He talks about a shepherd who had 100 sheep. But one strayed away, and the good shepherd, he's talking about Jesus, leaves the 99 and goes after the one. He talks about this woman who had this coin that was worth a lot of money. She had other coins, but this coin really mattered, and she lost it, and she turned the whole house upside down to find that one coin. He talks about a story about a dad who was raising two kids. One of them was godly and right and was very faithful, and the other one just blew him off, went and did his own thing. And this dad was looking off to the horizon to see if the sun would come. He knew where the sun was, by the way. In fact, for you parents and you have adult kids and your kids are out there living buck wild, I'm going to give you a word. You don't run to prodigals unless prodigals are at least walking to you. You chase them, you're going to be pushing on their chest so they can breathe their entire life and you will rob them of what real faith looks like. But we run after prodigals who are even just walking back. And so we see the heart of God. This is what God values. He will leave the 99 and go after the one. He will tear the house up trying to find you. He will run to his lost kid because that is the value system of heaven. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know, and it's relational. Say amen, somebody. That's God's heart. So, so what motivates us? That was the question, right? Why enlarge our place? Why expand to the right and the left? Let me get very granular with this. Let me make it about you. This is what I landed on. We are moved. I am moved by the value of one. That God loves it when we come together in a crowd like this to worship him. Listen, he loves it. He loves the 99. He loves the faithful son, but he will leave the 99 and go after the one. We are moved by the value of one because we remember at New Chapel that it wasn't so long ago how lost we felt, how tore back we were in this life. And, and though everything's not perfect, the grace and peace that we have because of Jesus, that's why we're motivated to go after the one. We stretched to plant this church. You know, it would have been a lot easier to not plant New Chapel. It'd been so easy to go be somebody else's youth pastor. I mean, that's a good gig. You sit back and spend some other dude's money, you know, like, <laughs> we're reaching the next generation, pastor, you know, <laughs> and I did a little bit of that. There's nothing wrong with it, but like, I could have sat on my hands and just had a 401. I've never had a 40 anything. I was just, and so it would have been easier, but we stretched, and we put a stake in the ground when we came to the old Rite Aid and made a church out of it. I don't even know the theological loopholes that we had to cross through to make that happen, but we did. And we made this home. And, and we're expanding this house because people, listen to me now, here's the reason, one by one 
are going to find the freedom that you and I have. Some of you, in the sound of my voice, you wouldn't be serving God if it wasn't for New Chapel. Not even just a church like New Chapel, because of this place. Imagine for a moment if we hadn't planted or, or came here or got into this building. Imagine, God forbid, because every family needed a house and we were able to take ground. Isaiah 54, here we go. The Bible says, the Lord of hosts is his name. Lord of hosts, this would be a, a military term. This is the Lord of heaven's armies. The Lord of hosts is his name and your redeemer and your redeemer, your redeemer. Say that with me. And your redeemer is the holy one of Israel. Don't ever forget where he's from. He is called the God of the whole earth, Redeemer. Now, that is not a word that we use as much anymore unless we're talking about pop cans, okay? Redeemer's not in our common vernacular, but it has deep meaning. To redeem is to buy back or to ransom someone. Now, I love how the Apostle Paul uses the word redemption in the New Testament, and it is the Greek word. You're going to visit cemetery, seminary for just a moment. The Greek word exagorazo. Let's all just say that. One, two, three. Ex Never know what you're going to learn at New Chapel. <laughs> Ex means to come out of. Garazo is a word picture in Greek, and it's a picture of a specific place. It's a slave market where human beings are sold. So X means to take out of, garazo means slave market. This describes someone who goes into the market where they're selling off slaves and they're going to use their own resource to buy back someone, but not for their own use. They're going to buy them back with their own resources in order to simply free them. Now, you might think you're noble and that you would do that, but let me just tell you, in Bible days, it was unheard of. It was laughable. It was crazy to even think like that. Who in the world would, would take what they had earned and go spend it on someone they don't know to buy them and set them free? By the way, New Chapel, we send money over to Pakistan to free brickyard slaves. There's a lot of talk about slavery in our culture today. Have you ever seen one? I have. I've seen them with my eyes. I've held their babies who are born into captivity. And I'm happy to say that those families and the baby that I held, we've freed them because New Chapel, you gave to free them from that awful brickyard debt. Give God praise for that. But even still, it's irrational. It's crazy. It's crazy for you to do that. You got your own problems. It's out of sorts. It's crazy. Why would somebody give up their place on a lifeboat? Why would somebody say, take my vest? Why would God send his only son, perfect son, who would never sin to redeem us? It is irrational and it is backwards in the way we would think about things, but it is an absolute order for our God. I had the craziest week I can't even describe to you, but I sat with a family and, and they, they came and they said, we want to give our miracle offering gift before anybody else. And I was like, okay, this is cool. Straight up mafia style. They open up a briefcase and they're like, here's $18,000. And I'm like, praise God, you know? <laughs> And, and I'm watching this, and I'm watching family. These are normal people, unsuspecting. N let me put it this way, not rich. They saved for years for this money, and they had no idea that the purpose was. That's irrational. It's backwards, but that's how the kingdom of God sometimes goes. We do this because we have love in our heart. Amy Carmichael, the missionary to India, she said this, you can always give without loving, but she says you can never love without giving 
We give because we love. We love our God. We love what he's done in our families, and we want to share it with our community that's all around us. That's the heart of this house. And so we started out being like, why do we put the stake in the ground? Why do we do it? Here's why I think we do it. I landed at this. I must reach further because his love reached me. God reached me. He changed my heart. And that is the heart that pushes us forward. This is not an emotional appeal. You know what's coming. By the way, God is not impressed with the size of your gift. He's impressed with the sacrifice of your heart. There's a couple at church that came in. <laughs> they said, Pastor, we want to give our miracle offering before everybody else. I don't know why that was a theme, but let the Lord use you. They <laughs> said, so we want to give the biggest offering we've ever given to a church. I said, all right. They gave a classic car, his dream car, garage stored for years, gave a classic car. I said, why don't you have the church sell it, give all the money in for the new building? I said, that's amazing. They said, we also want to give cash. Ah. There's nothing wrong with him keeping his car. And I'm not soliciting right now. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm saying hear from your God. And church, that's who you are. That's what you've done. That is New Chapel. So here's the invitation I want to give you today. Face your fears with me. Spread grace with me. Jump off the cliff with me. Join in this irrational move of God, which may be the only thing that makes sense in this backwards world. You are a part of the story, whether you're fairly new to New Chapel or whether you've called this your church home for years. This church has a heritage of taking on big, audacious goals for God. We reject the premise that it cannot be done. We reject it. Oh, well, Pastor Joe, it's too big, it's too hard, it's too much money. Listen, we are Christians. We do hard things. I say saddle up the horse. We ride at dawn. Who's with me? Who's with me? <laughs> Heavenly Father, I pray for my church. Oh, God, I pray that hearts are stirred out of inactivity, out of apathy, and God, towards your perfect will. God, not just for this miracle offering, not just that we're expanding our house. God, expand their house. Open their mind. Help them to dream again. God, some, somebody in the sound of my voice is backslidden like crazy, and I want you to forget the shame of your youth and go back to that time where you'd wake up in the middle of the night praying in God's spirit. God's not done with you. God wants you to pray big prayers and dream big dreams for your family, for your career, for your future, and yes, part of this congregation. Oh God, I pray that you meet people where they're at. God, I know that that grace gives us a new start. I thank you, God, that you make all things new in Jesus' name. Now, heads bowed and eyes closed just for another minute. If you came into my auditorium today and you'd say, Pastor, my life's not right with God. This is the craziest weekend you could have picked to come when we're taking this big old offering. And I'm not soliciting. You probably shouldn't give if you're brand new, but listen to me now. You got to hear about a church that's for real. Not a bunch of hypocrites going to tell you how to live your life. You got to hear about a church that loves you and is for you and is for people who are far from God, just like we were. If you came in here and your life's not right with God, 
There's an easy way to have relationship with God. There's only one way, though. It's through Jesus. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When you make Jesus the Lord over your life, Lord means boss, mind you. You're, you're done being your own God. You're done hitting that brick wall. When you make Jesus Lord over your life, the Bible says that he'll make all things new. You'll be born again. You'll be saved. It means that you'll have an eternity in heaven. You'll avoid a Christless burning hell. This is true. But eternal life does not start when you die. It starts the moment that you make Jesus Lord. You become born again. That life of God comes into your existence today. That's where you're going to have the peace and resolve and the promise to be able to get through this life with victory. If that is you, or if you want to come back home into your faith, I want to pray with you. Now, church, people are going to be praying this for the first time. I think we ought to support them. Let's all pray this out loud and proud. Pray it with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I could be forgiven. You raised Jesus from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I say Jesus is Lord. I surrender my heart. Forgive my sin. Put your spirit in me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give it up for those people. Come on, New Chapel on a miracle offering Sunday. Listen to me. If you made Jesus the Lord of your life, you got to let us know. I'm not going to call you down to the front, embarrass you. It's not about that. Fill out that card Pastor Brian was talking about, but check the box that says you made Jesus Lord. I'll send you a note in the mail talking about next steps. Don't miss the opportunity. This is our miracle moment. For the past seven weeks, we've been talking about expanding this house, moving forward. And you know what this means. Unless you've been living under a rock, God has big things for us. And in just a moment, the ushers are going to dismiss us row for row from the back to the front. If you were here last week, it's going to be a very similar flow to all of that. Now, I want you to note this. As people are coming up here and giving their offering in this miracle offering, we're doing it this way, which is different than our normal flow, but I want you to know it's scriptural. Well, you say, well, Pastor Joe, we're not, supposed to, we're not supposed to talk about that. It's all supposed to be in secret. No, that's not in the Bible. The Bible says that when we give our alms, alms are a gift that we give personally to the poor, we don't let our right hand know what our left hand's doing. In other words, New Chapel's never going to be taking selfies with the people that we're doing outreach events to with our Christmas gifts. And so, hey, look at that. You're never going to see that. We're not going to let our right hand know what our left hand's doing. And why do we do that? Jesus doesn't want us to tell off about how good we are when we take care of people who are down and out because we want to protect the dignity of people that don't have any money. So we give alms in secret, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong to give in this way. In fact, this is what the concept of an altar is all about. It's bringing a sacrifice to an altar. Jesus stood watch over offerings in the early church. In fact, that's the way that we have the story of the widow woman who gave her two mites. The only way that we had it is that the leader would stand watch over all of that. Now, some of y'all are afraid that I'm going to be opening up your envelopes and checking what you're... Maud, add an extra zero, you know? I mean, no, 
just let me, let me free you. I'm not going to check it all up here and embarrass you. It's not about that. I will be up here, but more important than any of that, whether we pass buckets or whether you come up to the front, Jesus stands over this offering like he does all of them. That's true. Yeah, amen. Why not? I also want to let you know that coupled with last week and this week, we are kicking off this campaign. That means from this moment on, you can pledge. We had a pledge that was given in between service. A nine-year-old boy came up to me. He said, I want to pledge $30. You got to think, guys, that's birthday money. That's Christmas money. That, that is a real sacrifice that God sees. And so from any time, our current and future church, you can pledge and you can, you can give into this. Uh, before we receive this offering, I want to thank you for being such a generous church. I want to thank you for what you did. I'm sure you're wondering, like, hey, I thought you were going to tell us about how much was pledged. You're a very generous church. Last week, you pledged $1,019,167,000. Give God praise for that. Wow. You say, Pastor Joe, where's the rich guy? I thought you said there's no rich guy. You listen to me. It was the rank and file of you giving a thousand bucks, five thousand dollar pledge, ten thousand dollar fifty. It's the rank and file of our normal New Chapel people that made this difference. You heard from your God, and we got that in in pledges. And I believe that God is going to bless you richly for that. You know who bit, uh, beat you all to all of this? There was a, a widow woman that attends our church. And she pledged $300. I know she's on a fixed income. Everything in me wants to say, no, 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 no. You need that money. Keep that money. But here's what I know. I'd be robbing her of getting God's provision, which is way better than 300 bucks, that you cannot outgive your God. Now, I can't pull any punches with you. I'm believing God for a miracle today. We want 10% of the total amount of this project to come in in one day. This will create a war chest for us to be able to be, able to, uh, be in contract with different tradesmen and contractors and be able to get work started over there as soon as we possibly can. I also want to let you know, for Kaya and I, we're going to put our faith where our mouth is. Kaya and I are cashing out. No savings. We're cashing out every dollar. We're going to keep enough until tied us over until the next paycheck but outside of that we are cashing in I'm not saying that again to solicit you and I'm not saying that to solicit any kind of feelings I don't really, really care how you feel about it the Lord asked this of us four times in this church's history we've been called to push it all to the middle of the table and I have learned that on the other end of that is the blessing of God I'm telling you this so that you don't have some hypocrite leader at the front row who's not given a dime. We are all in on this. The Bevelacqua's heart and soul were with you. And so, do you have to give? No, you're invited to give. If you're a visitor, you don't have to give. It's not about that. It's not that Christianity is hard. It's that this is family business. Now, when you come up, people are going to be bringing up pledges and their offering envelopes, and they're going to be taking these uh, offering envelopes and putting them into the bucket. When you do that, I actually have a stake that I want to put into your hand. Now, this stake is something that you're going to take home, different than the, the rope. We, we lengthened our cords, right? I hope you enjoyed that display we put up. looks like anthropology got hired, and we put up a great display. They worked so hard at that, and we elevated your prayers. And so... 
when you come down, you're going to receive this stake to take home. I want you to put it in a prominent spot in your house. I want you to either put it perhaps uh, maybe on your bathroom vanity, uh, maybe unless you're married to someone like me, maybe then you want to <laughs> you want to go put it on uh, you want to put it on maybe your dresser or on or on the dash of your car. I want you to see this every single day. And when you see it, I want you to pray and I want you to thank God. Thank God for the prayers that you wrote on that rope, yes, but also the fact that you have some depth. You've got a footing in this miracle that you have a stake in every good thing that God is about. Now, if we all could take out this envelope all over the room, I want to take us through just a couple of, of quick, quick, quick things. Uh, if you already gave online, or if you will give online, I still need you to pull this out. In fact, I can still see you, everybody. This is an old play. Make me feel good. Even if you're going to fake me out, just put it in an I don't really. Pull it out. Wave it at me, okay? This right here, put your information on. And one thing that I forgot when it came to the pledge cards and even with this envelope is to ask you what frequency you were going to give your pledge at. Now, obviously, your pledge and your miracle offering, it's two different things, but if you could, at the bottom someplace, rate how often you plan to do that, just so we know. If we know a certain amount's going to come in every week or every other week, it makes it so we can make plans moving forward. I can't move faster than the speed of your generosity. If you want to give today, of course, we're going to pass buckets uh, in, in other weeks. This week will be different, but you can still give cash or check with the envelope. You can also text to give, like always, but again, ushers are going to release you to the front. Whether you gave online or not, I want you to put the seed in the ground. And I'm believing, God, it will multiply in your life. Amen, somebody? You can stand up to your feet all over the room. Ushers, as soon as we pray and begin to worship, they will begin to release you row for row. If you need extra time because you're still writing things down, it's okay. If your row already got dismissed, you can still come down at any time. I want to pray as we press on into this offering. By the way, don't leave. I want to pray for you before we leave. Are you all ready? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this holy miracle moment. God, I thank you that you're meeting us here, that you see the real sacrifices and the covenant promises of your people. I thank you that you bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Extend your hands out. Heavenly Father, you see the heart and the sacrifice that your people have brought to this altar. God, I pray that you bless your people indeed. Give them the ability to be able to meet these challenges. God, I pray that you release and open up the windows of heaven, a blessing to bless them to take care of your people. God, I pray that as we give, we're going to be able to build something that you'll be proud of. God, a place where we can reach people just like us who are lost without you. God, I thank you for the blessing being released on their lives. I thank you that this gift will multiply both in blessing for them and as we make plans moving forward. God, I thank you that by your grace, we shall expand to the right and to the left. We honor you, God, in this holy moment. From the two mites to the great gifts, we say, God, be glorified. God, have your way. We honor you, sir, in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Lift your hands for the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace. And as you go, don't miss next week. 
We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.